Friday, Faith Promise. Hey, guys, doing this weekend, huh? Come on. Man, that is some worship. We want to welcome you, whatever campus that you're worshiping with us at. Could be Blount County, could be Anderson or Campbell or North Knoxville, could be our internet campus or our Pellissippi campus. We're just stoked that you chose to worship. 2014 is going to be the greatest year that we have ever had. It is the year of the hundredfold blessing. Anybody in ready for it? All right. Now, before you dive in the Word, a couple weeks ago, we had a video that, that sort of recapped 13 and all that God did, and there were a couple of errors on that video. One, it had our mission giving last year at 250000 It actually was 600000 It had us doing about 1,000 hours of, of outside of the body ministry, and that's somewhere well over 20,000 hours, not 1,000 hours, so we want to let you know that. God is up to something. Also, this semester, uh, we will not be having our downtown UT campus uh, as we work on who we want to lead that and all that kind of stuff. We will start it back up, but this semester, just in case you're inviting people, uh, we will not have the downtown UT campus. We're gonna, we're, again, we're going to get it back up, but just want to let you guys know. So I don't know about you, but I want the 100 hopeful harvest from the Lord of the harvest, the one that gives the harvest. And our theme this year, and I hope you've memorized it or you're working on it, is Genesis 26, 12. And that is, and Isaac planted in the land, and in the same year he harvested a hundredfold for the Lord blessed him. And that is just, we believe that God is the God of the harvest and that he can give us that same kind of blessing and favor. The New Testament companion verse is Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. Again, a great verses to start your year off in your scripture memory. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. And that's why we have so many problems in the world and in our hearts and homes is because we've sowed corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. They had already, people, had given up, laid down their sword of the Spirit, their shield of faith, had already walked away. So then while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are the household of faith. So a hundredfold harvest is huge. Let me tell you, uh, some seed that we're just encouraging you, challenging you, begging, praying, interceding, believing that we're going to sow together. And one is our Bible reading plan, 365 days. And uh, this weekend will be through day 11. And so if, you, uh, if you're not doing that, pick up a book that we, that we booklet we created for you. You won't if you don't. It's our theme for the year. If you don't sow, you won't reap. And so or you can go to version. Matter of fact, let me tell you how easy. You can go to version, click on this plan, and you can just click on the microphone and it'll read it to you. It will read it to you. I mean, it is the Bible for dummies, so it's right there. <laughs> then Monday morning starts a 21-day fast. Hallelujah. We're all thrilled about that. Again. And so I want to challenge you in the book, in the book that we created, there's about five or six different fasts, a Daniel fast, partial food fast, total food fast. You could fast a meal a day. A media fast would be great. But listen, fasting is not just about not eating. It is about skipping a meal or skipping something so that you can focus on prayer. If you say, well, I'm not eating so much so I can work more, Isaiah 58 comes down on that like a ton of bricks. 
It's it. Matter of fact, in a 21-day devotion we wrote for you, it's in there. We, we go through Isaiah 58 as, as, as God lays out the facet he wants and the facet he does not want. Now, if you've missed the last two messages, the first of, of 14 or the last of 13, if you missed those, go online, faithpromise.org, and download them. Or go to our resource center at any of our campuses and pick up a free CD, a free DVD, and get it because it's so, last weekend really laid the foundation for what we're going to talk about in this just this so pivotally important series called You Won't If You Don't. And Jesus was clear in Matthew 13. He said that the harvest depends on the soil and it depends on the seed. The soil and the seed. Ask any farmer, the soil and the seed. They're pri the primary indicators of what the harvest is going to be. All you got to do is look at the soil and the seed and you'll know. And in Hosea chapter 10, again, it's another great memory verse to start the year, Hosea 10, 12. So, we're all sowing, right? So, with the view of righteousness, reap in accordance with kindness and break up your fallow ground, which is your heart, for it is time to seek the Lord. And I don't know when we've had a more important series. I don't know when we've had a series that's going to so contradict the culture that we live in as this series that we're going to do. It is, it is absolutely going to come against what most of us have learned and grown up with. Uh, and so I want to challenge you not to miss a message. I want to challenge you to study the Scripture. I want to challenge you to, to go back, you know, and, and during the week and reread and rethink. And, because we're talking about something that's so vitally important. So let me ask you a question that's primary. We all want to sow seed, right seed, right? Amen? We want to sow that seed, and so we, we've got to sow the right seed so that we can have the right harvest. So what is the number one competitor for your heart in the world? The number one competitor. Because we really want to know, want to know that, shouldn't we? Because we need to understand what the enemy does, what the world's doing, and what the flesh will be drawn to. The number one competitor. How many think you know what it is? Raise your hand. Come on. I'm not going to call on you. Don't be afraid. How many? Okay. And Jesus reveals it in Matthew 13, 22. He said, it's the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is the number one competitor for our hearts. In the most important message that Jesus ever preached, the most famous sermon he ever preached, which was the Sermon on the Mount, in verse six, chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said this. Are you ready? If you listen, say, I am. No one can serve two masters. Who can serve two masters? Who? For no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You have to make a choice. You have to choose where you're going to put. Where are you going to put your heart? And so Jesus said the primary competitor for our hearts against him is our money and our stuff. Right? Money and our stuff. Has there ever been a culture in the history of the world more consumed in money and stuff than the 21st century American culture? So we have to realize where we are, what's going on, because we're all socialized into this society. We've all been culturalized into our culture, even though many of it is so contrary to the word. And so you got to choose one. If you want a hundredfold harvest from God, then you're going to choose to serve God and not gold. You're going to the Savior, not silver. You're going to serve the Master and not monies. No way. And so what in this series, one of the things that we want to do is sow the right seed, right? But we want to pull the weeds. Amen. Let me tell you what sanctification is. It's a big Bible word. Sanctification. 
It's how we grow closer or more like Jesus. And so let me tell you what, let me just give you an old East Tennessee illustration for what sanctification is. We all have weeds, right, in our heart. You got weeds at home, don't you? And what do you want to do with a weed in your yard? You pull it. So before you get saved, you get, you get socialized by the world. You learn values. You learn concepts. You learn the American way. You learn all these things. And then, lo and behold, God opens your eyes, and you receive Jesus, and you're born again. And then you realize, oh, my mercy, as I read the Bible, it's opposed to what I think. And I got all these weeds in my hard heart, and I want to break up my fallow ground, and I want to grow this harvest. So, man, sanctification is about pulling weeds. It's about getting grouped together and studying the Word together and pulling weeds. And so we're going to expose some weeds in the next few weeks. And if you, are, if you can hear what the Spirit's saying to the church, then you will pull some weeds with us. And we're going we're to sort of camp out in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul's letter to his son in the ministry. And, and I'm going to use two passages, but the second one is where we're going to camp out. In verse 6, it says this, 1 Timothy 6 says, But godliness actually is a means of great gain when it is accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we, can take, we cannot take anything out of it either. If we had food and covering, with these we shall be content. Are we? Excuse me? No, absolutely we're not. Okay, I'm glad you, glad you saw that. I don't have to stop preaching preach another sermon. But those who want to get rich, which is most everybody, right? That's why people play the lottery. It's a stupid tax. And so those that want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. We are so warned. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. By some longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith to take hold of eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then, okay, we just lay in sort of Bible. Now let's go to verse 17, which is where I, where I want us to just, man, build a campfire. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. Here we pick it up, 17. Paul says, hey, Timothy, instruct, command, exhort, teach. Get this word out. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to what? To enjoy. Instruct them to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Now, what, what we want to talk about is sowing seeds of generosity. And I want to tell you something. If, are, you, are you listening? When you sow seeds of generosity, you destroy the weeds of greed. And do we live in an American culture that's saturated with, with greed? Are you with me? So you want to not fall prey to this wicked culture who's pursuing riches. This is it. And nothing wrong with making money, nothing wrong with, with having more, and we're going to talk about that. But this is the deal. It is about putting your faith in God and not putting your faith in money. It is about putting your hope in God. And so he said, warn the rich people, instruct the rich people. Now I know that none of us are rich. We really are, but we don't believe that. And so as we get ready to sow some seed, again, I want to challenge you. I'm, I'm going to say it a bunch, and I'm going to keep riding this horse till you say, we got it. 21-day fast coming up Monday, and Bible reading record is sowing seed. And as we sow that seed and pray for each other, God's going to reveal to us weeds, and we're going to pull those weeds 
together. So, a question. If you're a Christ follower, listen, if you're not a Christ follower, you get a pass. Get a pass. This is not even for you. You get to look around and say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. I don't have to do that. That's y'all. But if you have confessed Christ, as Paul said, Timothy did, if you're a Christ follower, then let me ask you a question. Are you to be a generous person? Absolutely. Andy Stanley's got a new book. I would encourage you to get it, How to Be Rich or Just Be Rich. I was with uh, the pastor of the largest church in America, uh, Life Church, Craig Groeschel, and I was talking to Craig about our last series on Tapped Out. And he said, listen, the best series ever, period, done. The best series ever is Andy series, Andy Stanley's series on how to be rich. So I got it. Listen to two series, unbelievable. And so that's where a ton of what I'm going to share with you is coming from because it's absolutely just brilliant. Now, no one here is rich. But just in case you ever cross that imaginary line, just in case you ever get there, you'll, you'll know how to be a good rich person. Are you with me? So I want to help you. Now, this is a fact in our culture, the American culture. It's indisputable. The more money you make, the less money you give. Are you with me? The more money you make, the less money that you give. It's just the way it is. So we're going to take this journey together. And some of you are going to wig out, and that's okay. I just want you to finish the journey with us. Because we're going to take a journey to the heart of God, into the heart of the Word of God, so that God can break up your fallow ground, that he can sow seed that will produce that hundredfold harvest. Amen? So we're going to look in the Word. What does God say? Now, let me tell you what Jesus did. Are you ready? Jesus, when he talked about money and stuff, he focused on the percentage of what people gave, not the amount of what they give. Are you with us? Percentage, not amount. That's why I say that wealthy people give less than poor people. It's just a fact. Wealthy people may give a larger amount, but they give a smaller percentage of their money. It's just the more money you make, the less you drop that percentage. Now, what I'd love is all of us to be wealthy, just be good wealthy people, generous, not having our faith in money, but, man, having all our hope in God, being generous and ready to share. It'd be awesome. Man, it'd just it'd be great. But the problem is that money has side effects. Y'all know what I mean? It's got side effects. Let me tell you the first thing that money does. Money makes you weird. Do y'all know any weird rich people? Have you met weird rich people? You, you know, you, you, you meet them and they seem normal. Then after a while they get weird. What happened? They got money. Money makes you weird. It really does. Now, I know some great, well, you know, I know some people, and this is what they'll say. You know, they've got money, but you'd never know it. You ever heard that? It means they hadn't gotten weird. <laughs> That's what it means. The other people are weird. Now, see, again, now, no, again, none of us would admit that we're rich, would we? But Gallup just did a recent poll, and this is what the poll said. If you make $150,000 a year, you're rich. And we, got, we have plenty of people this weekend that make $150,000 a year or more. But if you ask any of them, are they rich, you know what they say? Absolutely not. See, there, there's no way. They talked to people that made $30,000 a year, and that $30,000 a year people said if you make $75,000 a year, you'd be rich. Do you see a pattern? So in the survey, they said, how much money would you need to feel rich? Now, get the amount in your head. Are you with me? How much money would you need to have in the bank? I'm talking about cash for you to feel rich. You know what it was? Five million. So you got 4.5 million. You're not rich. 4.75. You haven't made it yet. Five million dollars cash, you'd feel rich. Now, let's just, you know, the, the deal for us is that we live on, we live on the water. It's called the river denial. 
because we deny where we are. If you make $45,000 a year household income, that's he, she, everybody lives there. $45,000 a year household income, you're in the top 1% of wealth earners on the planet. Top 1%. I didn't hear anybody shout, I'm rich. Did y'all hear anybody? <laughs> Woo, I didn't know. Praise God, man, I'm rich. Nobody. Did you know? This is no lie. I've talked to multimillionaires that I was friends with. I knew how much money they had. And I'd ask them this question, are you rich? Not only did they say no, but they were offended by the question. See, nobody feels like they're rich, do we? So money has side effects. The second side effect money has, if you're listening, say I am, is their appetite for stuff increases. Are you with me? It increases. And that's, again, Paul warns Timothy, instruct those who are rich to, in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. See, the, the more that you feed a habit, the more it grows, right? The more that you starve a habit, it shrinks. Now it's 2014. It's, we're in the halfway in the middle of the second week, and I'm, I'm, I am working. we got the biggest loser going on to my house. I've been in the, the gym the last two days, and I'm not in very good shape. But you know what I haven't had? I haven't had chocolate. I'm convinced God gave us chocolate. Are you with me? And God gave us chocolate. And there's a bowl of Hershey's Kisses in my living room. And I said, Michelle, I'm rebuking that in Jesus' name. If you don't do something with them, I'm throwing them away because I could smell them in my sleep. I need some chocolate. See, but the more that I starve that habit, the more that habit will shrink. The more that I feed that habit, the more that I want chocolate. Are you with me? And so here we are all trying to get healthy and, you know, trying to get healthier and 14 again, sowing the right seed. So, so, you, you, so people get money and their appetite for stuff grows and they get a bigger house, right? And what do you fill your bigger house with? More stuff. And then let me tell you, what, other, uh, what else rich people do? Rich people have upgrades. Now, you know what an upgrade is? An upgrade is when you take something that works perfectly well and get rid of it so you get something newer, like a kitchen. You take out the good refrigerator, you take out the good stove, the good microwave, the good dishwasher, and what do you get? A new microwave and dishwasher and stove, right? Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. Understand only rich people upgrade. Are you with me? But listen, poor people don't upgrade. They don't upgrade. How many iPhones have you had? You had the one, you stood in line for the two. Two was out, you couldn't wait for three because three just wasn't quite good enough, so you had to have a four. And then we got to four, and it was 4S, baby. We're going to get Siri. We got a phone that talks to us. And so we get Siri, but it's just not quite good enough, so five's out. So we stand in line to get a what? A five, and we can't wait for a six and an iPad and an iPod and a computer. Listen, only rich people upgrade. We say, well, I upgrade all the time. I know. I know. My deal is I want you to know. Next week we're going to talk about problems that only rich people have. So only rich people stand in front of a closet full of clothes and say, I don't have anything to wear. You go to a poor person's house, man, they don't have a ton of clothes. You go to your house and look at your closet. Listen, <laughs> how many, if you wore a different pair of shoes every day, you see where we're going? 
Our husbands are, are you see the husband sitting up, elbowing her? Hey, he about to, he's about to talk to you. <laughs> no, because I've been in some, I know what some of you guys got too. But how long could you go if you wore a different pair of shoes every single day? Now, remember when you were young, if you were like me, I had a pair of tennis shoes and a pair of dress shoes. I've, I've got enough shoes that I can go a month. It looks like a woman's closet, and I don't even know where they came from. Shoes multiply in my closet. <laughs> I, and so, you know what rich people do? Rich people give away their stuff to get more stuff. Or they have a garage sale so they can buy more stuff. Or they go on eBay so they can have more stuff. Listen, hey, there's nothing wrong with any of it. As a matter of fact, man, take it to Carm. Take it to the thrift store. Give it. That way it'll go to great ministry. So there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know what some really, really, I'm talking about uber rich people do? Their house is full. They go rent a storage building. <laughs> Listen, because they got so much stuff, clothes and stuff, that there's no room for it and their house is full. And they go rent storage buildings to put their stuff and you're saying, wait, Chris, I have a storage building. I know. <laughs> because you're rich. You're rich. If you make $45,000 a year, you're rich. This passage in Timothy is talking to you and struck the rich. Do you know many of you have built a home for your car? <laughs> What's that called? A garage. Matter of fact, some of you have more than one car. You're talking about building a second garage because your home for your cars is already full and you're going to get another car. Are you with me? C come on. I've been to your house. I know. I drive by and check y'all out. I got this. Do you know that our garbage disposals eat better than half the people on the planet? How much food do you throw away? You know what? I brush my teeth. I cut the water on. I, I mean, I start brushing teeth. The guy's bathroom. I leave it running and go to the back. Go use the bathroom and come back. I got so much water. We got so much water. We throw it in our yard and we water our weeds. <laughs> See, we are wealthy Americans. And, and guess what? Money makes us do. It makes us weird, doesn't it? Come on, you're thinking. No, I know other people. But I'm not. I'm not them. Some of you are not. Some of you are. See, it makes, you, it makes you weird. It makes your appetite. And so, again, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies all things to be enjoyed. Now, what I want you to see out of this passage, this, this is so important. You'll never forget this. This is what happens. Most of us, most of us grew up, we didn't have any money. Did y'all grow up not having any money? Okay, a lot of us grew up not having any money. Then we, 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 we begin to make money, and it, this is what the Bible says. We have a hope migration. A hope migration. Who are rich in this world, not to be conceited or fix their hope. See, people that are broke don't put their hope on money because they don't think they'll ever have any. Poor people. Not us, poor people. I know some of y'all think you're poor. $45,000 a year, top 1% of wage earners on the planet. Top 1%. Average household income in Knox County, $44,000. $1,000 below the top 1% on the planet. And so what happens is that we, we begin to gain money. Listen, and I hope you do gain money. But if you're not ready, you'll gain money and your hope will migrate from God to your money. It migrates. That's why Paul said, hey, warn them that their hope doesn't migrate. Look at Israel. 
God rescues Israel, and then God blesses them and makes them rich. And what do they do? They turn their back on God, don't they? Matter of fact, how many times did they do it? A hundred? Two hundred? Read all of the Old Testament. We're reading it together. You'll see. God blesses them, they walk away. God blesses them, and they walk away. Why? Because their hope migrated from God to money. See, and when your hope's in money, you're going to sow the wrong seed. You're going to serve the wrong master. When you sow the wrong seed, you're going to reap the wrong harvest. Listen, man, I I, I really do. I hope God just blesses our our church so supernaturally financially, but not if we're going to if we're going to take our hope off God. It's a hope migration. Not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of of riches. Let me give you a a Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, this is what it says. I'm going to help you. We're we're understanding the American culture. This is so critical. Verse 11, chapter 18, Proverbs. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. Now, I want you to get that. Listen, look up here. I want you to get this. Because, see, when somebody gets rich, their hope migrates to money, right? And then they begin to build a wall with their money. They begin to say, i got to save enough so that I'll be secure. i got to save enough so that my kids will be secure. And their hope moves from God's provision to money. And their hope migrates to the uncertainty of rich. And it's like a high wall. It's like a fortified city in their imagination that they are safe from the world. But we all know that there is no place safe on this planet. It's not till we get to heaven. But see, what happens is we get money, and money's, man, money will mess with your head. Money will mess you. The more you get, the more you won't. And the more you won't, the more you hoard. It's what we do. It's what Americans do. Our hope migrates from God to money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, are you listening? If you're listening, say, I am. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if your treasure is in your bank account, that's where your heart will be. That's where your hope will be. That's where your strong tower will be. That's where you will be concerned about and focused on. And then you will begin to be ungenerous and you will begin to hoard. Are you with me? Now, let me ask a question. Some of you are thinking right now. You weren't, I'm just going to rock your world. Are you ready? Why in the world does preachers always talk about money? Some of you have been in church in a long time, and last time you came, I was talking about money. <laughs> and thinking, dear God, I've been here three times in four years. That's the only thing he's ever talked about. <laughs> Why in the world do preachers always talk about money? Now, this is what our core committed people walk up and say, hey, pastor, man, I'm, I'm, I'm worried because I, I invited my friend, and, and they said all we want is their money. So what am I going to tell them? I'm about to give it to you. Write it down. Are you ready? Why do preachers always talk about money? Are you ready? Because Jesus did. Now, amen, come on. Come on, yeah. Listen, do you know that Jesus spoke more about your money and your stuff than prayer, faith, heaven, and hell combined? Prayer, faith, heaven, and hell combined. You know what I never see? Nobody ever says, why does a preacher always talking about prayer? If he preaches another sermon on prayer, I'm out of here, baby. I'm sick and tired of hearing about prayer. Boy, why does he always talk about the Bible? Why can't he talk about the Bhagavad Gita or the Koran or something else? Why can't we be something else? How, how, see, nobody ever asks that, do they? Nobody ever says, how come he always talks about evangelism? Why does he always talk about the family? No, no, there's only one topic people ask why preachers talk about all the time, and it's money. Do you know why they ask that? Because they don't want to give it. 
Nobody says that to me. When people ask me, listen, this is what they'll say. My friend says, you talk about money. And I say, oh, that's great. Your friend doesn't give. Are they a believer? See, I used to be nice. I'm not nice about it anymore. I'm not. I'm just not. I say, your friend doesn't want to give. Hey, man, it's all right. Listen, Jesus talked about giving. That's what we talk about. And this is the deal. We talk about money because it's the number one competitor for your heart. The number one competitor in this whole world for your heart to draw you away from God. Don't fix your hope in the uncertainty of riches. Man, that's the deal. Proverbs chapter 30. Look what this, look what the, the proverb writer said. Two things I've asked of you in verse 7. Do not refuse me before I die. He's praying. Keep deception and lies far from me, and give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? See, the psalmist realized if he got rich, he'd probably turn away from God. Why does the lottery ruin almost everybody's life that wins it? Because money will mess you up. Some of you used to go to church. What happened? The devil used money to drive away between you and God. It's just, it's where we are. It's the culture. We're so enamored with it, it's very difficult. It's easy to look at somebody else and say, yeah, that's them, but that's not me. So me, I, listen, let's get to the root of this. Are you ready? Now, do you want to, you want to be a hundredfold harvest? You want to sow the right seed? Then we have to have the right heart. Which one of these two statements I'm about to give you causes you more anxiety? Two statements, which one? Number one, there is no God. Number two. You don't have any more money. Now, some of you, the second statement made your stomach hurt. I mean, they call you money morning. Your your banker, your retirement, your investment, your company says, "Hey, by the way, we lost. Hey, we lost it all. We have people that hear that their whole retirement had been stolen. Everything they got's gone. It can happen just like that." That's why the Bible says the uncertainty of riches. There's nothing certain, is there? Zero. Now, I want you to think with me. Can you think for a minute, spiritual imagination? You're in the ICU. It's your last day. Your life is ebbing away with the bleeps of the machines, and they're feeding you with medicine to try to maintain the pain, but you're still lucid enough to know what's going on. But you know in the next few hours or within the day that you're going to leave this planet. And in that moment, if I were to walk up and sit down beside your bed in the ICU and say, hey, which one of these bother you more? Number one, there is no God, or number two, you're broke. Let me tell you, at that point, everyone will put 110% of their hope into God, won't they? You know why? Because they're wondering about eternity. They're wondering about where they're going to go. They're wondering about where they're going to stay because they know they're about to breathe their last breath. And if you're not, man, fear can grip your heart. I've, I've, I've sit in the room with people dying and held their hands and prayed for them and, and walked through people, with people through that. But let me tell you something. Since we all agree that in the end we'll put all our hope in God, why don't we just do it now? Well, isn't that, isn't that a brilliant idea? Let's don't put our hope in a provision. Let's put our hope in the provider. Because, see, money is a trap. Now, I hope you get tons of it and give like generous, men you just give. But money, it's never enough. That's why nobody thinks they're rich. Because to be rich, you have to have just a little more, right? And, see, and let me tell you, we have a generous church, but, but I watch your generosity. We're in January, the least giving month of the year because we bought all our stuff for Christmas last month, right? 
Now, do you know what I'm going to give in January? The exact same amount of money I gave in December. I'm going to give the exact same amount of money in December as I gave in June when we went to the beach. See, because generosity to God comes first because he is our hope. But what we do as a congregation, our giving ebbs and flows with what's going on in our life. Well, you know, man, I think I, I need a new car, so I'm not going to give. Or we need this, so I'm not going to give. You know, I, what? We need more what? Stuff. So we're not going to be what? Generous. Are, are you with me? Are, are you with me? Man, this is the deal. Put your hope and faith in God. Why would you hope in anything else? I mean, you really realize that, that, that wealth is uncertain, don't you? Stock market could crash tomorrow. I hope it doesn't, but it could. We watched it drop just a few years ago from 14000 to 7000 Was that ugly? It could be worse. Talk to our financial advisors. Man, there's no guarantee. So I will not put my hope in riches, but the one who richly provides. Now, we're going to say that together, so I'm going to say it one more time. I will not put my hope in riches, but the one who richly provides. Let's say that together. I will not put my hope in riches, but the one who richly provides. Now, some of you don't mean it, but we're going to say it anyway. We're going to do that one more time, and with some attitude. When we get to the word riches, I want you to just have attitude. Are you with me? I will not put my trust in riches, but the one who richly provides. All right, attitude. I hear one, two, three. I will not put my hope in. Oh, but the one who richly provides. Amen. That's good. Wow. That's the deal. That's the deal. Because listen, money can't touch the things that matter most. If you work yourself into an early grave, money can't fix it. If you spend all your time worried about money, worried about working and lose your marriage, it doesn't matter how much you make. It won't matter how much you make if, you've, if you're CEO and making $5 million a year and your kids hate you. See, the most important things in life, money can't buy. Money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy a meal, but not a family to eat it with. Money can provide op options, but money can't give you joy and victory. Are you with me? So what some of us need to do, if we really do want our hearts to be to be right soil, break up your fallow ground, Hosea 10, 12. If we really want God to break up the fallow ground, then some of us have got to repent because our hope has been in money. Are you with me? Are you with me? Because really, come on, about 25% of this congregation tithes, which means gives 10%. And they, the, the, the top 10, the, those families that tithe fund 75% of our annual budget. And the other 90% of people that come fund the other 25% of the budget. Are you with me? Why? Why? Because, man, we're, 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 our, 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 our hope is fixed on money. So the Bible's got a great word for that. Are you ready? It's called repent. Repent. Repent means my hope is fixed on money. I'm going to repent, and I'm going to turn and not fix my hope on the uncertainty of riches, but I'm going to fix my hope on Jesus, the one who richly provides. I'm not going to focus on the gift. I'm going to focus on the giver. I'm not going to focus on his hand. I'm going to focus on his heart. Are you with me? Listen, hey, once he's got your heart, he didn't have any problem filling your hand. It's just not that. And can I tell you something? Come on, listen. Stingy's ugly. Isn't it? Stingy's ugly. Some of you are ugly. 
because you're stingy, because your hopes and money. I'm serious, your hopes and money. And, and it's, your, it's, your, it's your imaginary tower, it's your imaginary wall, and you think that one day you'll have enough that you'll be secure. And if something happens to the economy, all your money will go away. You say, I got it buried in the backyard. They can, they, they can, they can make all of our currency worthless, can't they? So I will not put my, my hope in the uncertainty of riches, but I will put my hope in one who richly provides. So how's your heart? You see, I told you, we were going, man, listen, we're going to go after it. And so some of us need to grab the weed of greed. Are you with me? The weed of greed. Grab the weed of greed with both hands. Repent. Yank that sucker out. Hey, listen, don't cut it off because it grows back. Weeds always grow back. Pull the root out. Put your hope in him. Campus pastors, if you guys would all come forward to all of our campuses as we, as we wrap this up, our praise team is going to come back out and we're going we're gonna to worship just a little bit more. And, in, and, and so Kim's pastor's coming up, and it's, it's, we're gonna, uh, in just a minute, I'm going to turn it over to you. But some of us this weekend, you already know the Spirit of God's already moving. He's moving, and you know that your hope's been in money, not the master. You know that. If you say, well, how do I know? Give me your checkbook, and I'll tell you. Because the heart of a believer is generous. Warn those who are rich in this world not to put their trust in money, but to put their hope in the one that richly provides and to be generous and ready to help. Amen. Amen. So right now, some of you have never put your hope and trust in Jesus. It's been in this world, and maybe you had not been around church, and you're new, and, man, you're saying, this is the most radical stuff I've ever heard. Praise God. Man, we're so thrilled that you're with us at every campus. So if you need to give your heart to Jesus, we're all going to bow our heads. And right now, if you would just... If you would pray this prayer with me, matter of fact, we're going to pray this prayer with you. Open up your heart and, and break up the fallow ground. Pray this prayer. Say, dear God, I know I've sinned. My hope's not been on you. I am so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I put all my hope on you. Save me. Help me walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, campus pastors, it's yours. Man, we love you guys at all of our campuses. Now, as, as we get ready to sing this song, some of you prayed that prayer. You're, you're online. You can go to the chat room or you can fill the communication card out. There's people waiting to pray with you in the chat room. There's campus pastors right here. We've got another song of worship. They're going to be down here to pray with you. Or take, it, take your communication card in front of you and fill that out, drop in the offering boxes. Listen, listen. We all want to reap a hundredfold, right? This is, this is a big deal. And so we've got to prepare the soil of our heart. And if you leave sin, I knew he'd talk about money. I'm just following the master. Because Jesus talked about it. 37 parables, over half of them are about money and stuff. Amen? We want more for you than we want from you. We want you to be set free. Amen? Let's stand, fill the cards out as Justin leads us.